Hi, Hurricane fans. Joe Zagacki here for UPS. Your customers want more from your business. You've got to make more happen, whether they're in Miami or on the other side of the world, globally or locally. UPS is building solutions to help businesses give their customers exactly what they want. More made easy. UPS, official logistics company of Miami Athletics. Another edition of Behind the U. We're going to switch things up a little bit. We're going to expand our horizons. We're talking a little baseball. Glad to be talking to Yonder Alonzo. He'll take us behind the U. Yonder, appreciate you doing this. Yeah, man, absolutely. Thank you for having me. And, uh, you know, obviously it's a pleasure on a, on a beautiful Friday night here in Miami. Um, 77 degrees, man. It can't get any better. No, can't get any better than that. We'll talk about your path, your journey. It's some serious sacrifice. But I want to start here. We think of Miami and the University of Miami. Obviously, football is always the first thing in the tradition and the family and the brotherhood. But man, UM baseball, family, tradition, brotherhood. How tight is your group? You know, we're very tight. And it's obviously, we're so lucky right, to, to be here in Miami, be here from Miami and, and being able to have the select few go to the University of Miami, have that brotherhood. And obviously, uh, winning on top of that and, and, and realizing all the things you, you, you did when you went to the University of Miami and all the things you, you accomplished, not only personally, but obviously as a team and going to Omaha and being ranked as, you know, I felt like when I was there, it was top five every year. And the goal was not only get to Omaha, we, we kind of knew we were going to get to Omaha, it was how to win it. And there's no greater feeling than understanding you do have a great team, you do have great friends, and these are all obviously lifelong friendships that you create throughout the years. Growing up, you know, you came over here from Cuba, and I, I definitely want to talk about that. But when you finally got here to Miami, I always ask this to the, to the football guys, you know, was their dream to play at Miami? So was it your dream to play at Miami? Like, were you a big Hurricanes fan growing up? You know, it's funny. Nobody's ever asked me that. And I think it's pretty cool that, that you would ask me that because growing up, I didn't know the University of Miami. I, I just did not know that. And for me, it was about to be honest, just, just making it day-to-day. My family was to make it day-to-day. And, and that was having food on our, our, on our table every single day. And I wasn't really concerned about schools. Now, as I got into high school, my game obviously developed and my game was a, a little bit better. In my freshman year, I'll never forget, I had a, a summer camp and, and a coach asked me to go. And the Tennessee Volunteers were there and, and a coach by the name of Domonico, he was the head coach at the time who is a uh, Hall of Famer, and, and he's done, he did incredible things at, at Tennessee. And he was the first guy that recruited me. And, and I remember I was like all in love with Tennessee, and I wanted to be involved, and I wanted to wear the orange uniform and all that stuff, right? I wanted to go to the Smoky Mountains and, and do all the things that the Tennessee Volunteers were going to do and all this and that. And next thing you know, they say, hey, man, let's go watch Miami, Florida State play at the night. And a buddy of mine had tickets. He, Frankie Lorenzo, I'll never forget, you know, the, the Figueroa's were playing at the time and they had the long wavy hair and it was like the thing, you know, super cool and all this and all that. And I ended up going to the University of Miami on a Friday night and I'll never forget seeing the crowd and seeing the game. And, you know, first time I set foot on, on that prestige uh, stadium and field and right. It's the first time you see Bermuda grass, the first time you see a leveled infield and, shoes and the orange bats and here I am saying 
okay, this is where I want to be, right? This is where the mega of, of baseball is at. And at the time, Miami was ranked like top five in, in, in the country. Florida State was pretty, pretty good too. I'll never forget, I sat on the left field line and, you know, I had like three bucks. And I got a, a bag of peanuts and that was pretty much, but I was sold on the bag of peanuts, the light, and, and just watching just the atmosphere of, of the game and, and, you know, getting to walk around the stadium, getting to see all the people and being like, you know, I can make a name for myself here and, and really just understanding what tradition is all about. It's funny. Uh, you said, I didn't, you know, no one's ever asked me that. No one will be able to see this because it's a podcast. But on my notes right here, it says Mark Light on a Friday. Ain't nothing like it, man. And it really, there's just, I get goosebumps talking about it right now because it's cool to see it as, as a fan or as a kid. Cause I, I bring myself back as, you know, when I was 14 years old, right? 15 years old, but there's nothing better than being a player and, and really worrying that, you know, Thursday night you're, you're in shorts and you're doing like your preparations, your last preparations for that series and there's nothing better than waking up Friday morning, going to school, and then as soon as class is over, just getting some lunch and heading right to the field and, and getting ready for that game. And you, you just feel that energy just building and building and building. And then as soon as they, they turn on those lights, man, and you see those umpires, like just something for the first time hits your, your, your blood. And you just want to obviously not only represent the University of Miami, represent the, the jersey but you know you're representing the city and I think for a guy that's from the city of Miami a guy that grew up here that obviously uh grinded and, and you know struggled and sacrificed here in the city of Miami when you wear that uniform is like you're representing a lot of people you're not representing just yourself so for me like that was a big hit and that was like that moment where you know, you first play your alumni game and you play against all these guys that had been through there, right? Aubrey Huffs and Pat Burrow and San Pedro and Figueroa's and Weicho and this and that. And then you start really realizing these players were the real deal players and, and you want to be a part of that. You just want to be a part of that. You don't want to mess it up. And I remember these players that would come by, they would just say, it's up to you guys now, continue the legacy. And even when I go back, I try to tell the young guys, continue the legacy. We busted our butts for this, right? And we've given you guys the keys to this beautiful car. And now it's up to you guys to continue that legacy and continue that trip. You mentioned not only the school, but the city, right? Being from Miami and you, Manny Machado, our family, John Jay, you guys are all close. There's a brotherhood that runs through that program. There's a certain pride that you guys have that is bigger than the school, and I don't mean that demeaningly, but for being Miami guys. Maybe you could talk a little bit about the pride that you guys take in being baseball players from Miami. You know, it's funny that you say that as well, and and I, I'm you know I'm also gonna throw this out there is even the players that come from out of state, it takes them a month to realize what they're in for, and you either have to join, or it's just not gonna work out. I have many friends that came to the U that were from St. Louis, California, Texas, um, Nebraska. And when they get to Miami, they know that this is more than just playing ball. This is life. Um, this is not only, we're not only playing for ourselves. Again, we're playing for our family and everybody here in Miami. But on your question, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think everybody that, that plays high school baseball over here, this is the mecca of, of meccas of, of baseball. And, and there is no greater feeling and no greater pride to 
at the end of your high school career, being able to say you're going to represent the orange and green. And, and it really means a lot. It means a lot, not only for the players, it means a lot for the, the city and, and the people around you to understand that you're the best they got. And, and you know, for me, that's how it felt like. Right? I'm going to Miami. They chose me to come here and represent uh, the city and represent the university. And, and that for me was just a blessing, but a great opportunity. And with a lot of opportunities uh, come that stress, right? And that, that want to not only do well for, for the school, but obviously do well for, for the city and, and make it to, to Omaha and win it. When did you become aware, whether it was before you got there or when you got there, of just how big Miami baseball is, right? I mean, the, the unprecedented postseason streak, the names you've mentioned, and there's more, you know, Alex Fernandez, Greg Vaughn, Rick Rather, Joe Gray, I mean, Decoras. I mean, there are so many dudes that have played baseball at the University of Miami at a high level or even gone on to the big leagues. When did you become aware of just how great the tradition of UM baseball was and continues to be? You know, I think during high school, during that, those times of, you know, that freshman, sophomore, junior year, you know, I committed as a junior. And it, there was no question in my mind that the only school I wanted to go to was Miami. I, I never even took another visit anywhere else. I said, you know, I'm going to commit to Miami. I'm loyal to Miami. And this is where I want to be. But even I think every day, even when I got to the big leagues and, and even when I got I was in the minor leagues, you, you talk to guys in the minor leagues and, oh, you're that Miami. You're a Miami kid, huh? You're, you went to the U, huh? Or even during the big leagues, you know, Miami wins a big game. Miami loses a big game. I, I hear about it. And I think every single day, you know how prestige and how special it is. Because to be honest with you, I'm not talking to anybody that, that has won a game, a big game at Florida or Florida State or, you know, Texas or Stanford or pretty much anywhere else. I just don't talk about it. And really, nobody really talks about it other than, you know, you're a Miami guy. They're going to either bust you or they're going to just get you and, and talk a little smack or really just tell you how good they are. So, you know, in, in every sport too, I mean, we're talking about basketball, football, baseball, it doesn't matter the sport. If Miami wins, they'll let you know about it. If Miami loses, they'll definitely let you know about it. So I think every day that, that you, you obviously uh, live, they, there's definitely some, uh, some, some talk about the University of Miami and obviously their, their programs. When you go to a school and all you have to say is the you, and everybody knows what it is and what it means. There's really nothing more to say. Absolutely, man. I mean, the U is uh, it's a special uh, phrase, and, and, and obviously uh, it holds a, a very special place in my heart. And I think not only for myself, but, but you obviously for everybody. I remember that commercial, like if it was yesterday, it was all about the U. Man, it just, it just sticks, you know, it just sticks. And um, there's no greater feeling than that. You know, I'm, I'm sure the fans will obviously appreciate this, but Ain't no better feeling than the Orange Bowl. Ain't no better feeling than uh, <laughs> just those great times at the Orange Bowl. I read that. You should sneak into the OB. Yeah, with my friends in high school. That's epic, dude. That is epic. I, uh, I, I had no money. And, you know, one of the things we used to do is sneak in. We used to open these gates. These gates were so old. Oh, you know? yeah. They were a little heavy. But, you know, you can kind of get under them, right? And you can, you can really, like, pick them up and, and you can get in there. You know, I used to do that all the time. And, and uh, you know, obviously, as I, as I was in high school, obviously I, I didn't do it as much. But it was one of those things where I really enjoyed the, the, that atmosphere and, and really enjoyed those games. Uh, one, of the, one of these great games I snuck into was actually Tennessee against Miami. And Dorsey had a huge game that day. And Sean Taylor had a great game. He had two picks that, that day. And it was a day game. It was a 1 o'clock Saturday game. And, you know, I, I didn't have a seat. So I would just roll around and I would watch the game from the upper deck. I would watch the game from the bottom. I would watch the game from the inside of the concessions. And 
it was fun, man. It was it was a lot of fun, and and obviously uh, getting the bus back to go home. I didn't live far from there, so it wasn't too bad. Um, or I would have my dad kind of scoop me up a mile away from the stadium or whatever, and uh, those, those were the good times. I'm from here too, so my childhood was going to the Orange Bowl, even going to Mark Light. You know, if I was a kid playing baseball in Little League, wear your uniform, you're getting free. Right. Go to the Orange Bowl, park at someone's house. They say you're not going to get blocked in. You got blocked in. There's a person on the corner selling hot dogs and arepas and all that good stuff. It was nobody understands that, right? And nobody I know. That unless they lived in it. And, you know, when a big play would happen, you felt like the orange bowl was just going to fall apart. By the end, it might have fallen apart. <laughs> you know, you, you went to the bathroom and you're like, oh, my God, how does this even work? Actually, it didn't work. That's probably why it smelled like that. But you know what? That's special, man. Like, that's special. You go to all these places now. And, and I'll tell you what, in the big leagues, there is a couple stadiums like that that stand out. Like what? Fenway Stadium for me stands out like that. You know, Wrigley Field has been renovated, but before it was renovated, it was like that as well. You just get that feel of that, that smell, man. It's like that hot dog smell, those peanuts, smell, that beer smell. You just get it. It just doesn't go away. And, and there's nothing greater than that. There's nothing better than that. And it was awesome, man. It was awesome. Even the lights, I feel like, are different. Oh, it's all different. It's you know, all that different. kind of dust light. And, and I remember the first time I went to the Orange Bowl scene, like, uh, the city of Miami yes. welcomes you. And that for me was like, the city of Miami welcomes you and you're about to lose. <laughs> and it was like a great feeling of the city of Miami is about to kick your butt. And there's, that's just what stands out. You know, I'm from Miami and I rep the city super hard. And, and anywhere I go, I just say Miami's home, right? Miami has given me everything. Miami has taught me all the lessons in the world. And I am who I am today because of the city of Miami, and there's just no greater feeling than that. There are so many. Th I don't even know where to start. There's like five questions off of that one answer I want to start with. So I'm just going to try and get through these if I can. So you came over here in 95 from Cuba, and we are still going to talk about that. So I guess in 2000, 2001, when Miami's making that run, you're middle school, high school. So, I mean, you're like you're just in the middle of greatness. Oh, man, what a great time to to obviously be a fan. I mean, I, I you know, I during that time, I saw myself being so far away from the University of Miami, right? Like, so far away. Like, it was a dream. Like, I could never go to that school. I just, whether it was, you know, through grades or it was through my playing uh, abilities, I just did not see myself going there at all. So, and it happened so fast. So, at that point, did you not think you were that caliber of a player yet? I was. I, during during my age group, I was obviously, I was standout. But we're talking about, you know, 13 years old, right? 14 years old. Right. You just don't you. see that. You just don't think about those things. For me, it was just the everyday grind of, you know, mom, dad, like, what are we going to have for dinner today? And and it was the same old, you know, we're going to have some, the, the Wednesday specials at McDonald's with some cheeseburgers, or we're going to go get some chicken nuggets, or we're going to get, you know, a small pizza and share it in four. And that's just what it was. So who were those guys you were watching that you were like, man, that's a bad dude? San Pedro sticks out to me, uh, but during before that, obviously the San Pedro was old, uh, younger. Uh, during before that was uh, Espinosa, Pat Burrow, Kevin Brown, Cora sticks out, of course. Chris Klutz sticks out to me. I actually meant it from a football standpoint because we were talking about football, but like you know, the football guys. I mean, we can talk about Frank Gore, who's a Gables guy. Andre Johnson was a guy. Uh, Portis was a guy. Vilma was a guy. DJ Williams was a guy. The three running backs that they had, you can take your pick, McGain. right? McGain, Portis, Gore. Then we had later on, we had obviously Peyton Jr. Are the teams tight? Yeah, well, you know, we worked out at the football facility. So they all saw the grind. You know, we were we actually worked out before they did. So our workouts were from 5.30 to 6.30. 
And then the football guys would come in from seven to like nine. So we would work out first. And then at like 6.30, we had to get out of there and we would do our running on the football field. So they knew, you know, like these guys are crazy. You know, these guys are working out at 5.30. Like, how do they do it? So we became close, you know, like, and you, of course, you have school with guys. And, you know, when I was there, I had a, I remember I, had, I was saying the story the other day, I had Calais Campbell in one of my classes. And I'll never forget, I was a freshman and I see this guy who's six, eight, you know, you can see him from a mile away. And, you know, when he talks, he has this deep voice and, and he, he tends to, every time he, he would speak, he, he was speaking very loud. And it was just great to like go to school with him. And obviously I went to school with Jimmy Graham, uh, who, who obviously Jimmy G, I, I played with the Seattle when he was with the Seahawks and, and uh, he ended up giving me a, like a jersey, a helmet. Um, you know, the, all the you guys kind of stick together when it comes to all that. And uh, of course I had to represent and I put the helmet in my locker and I put the jersey in my locker and, you know, everywhere I go, my chair at a University of Miami, my jersey, it was rolled into the chair. So um, everybody knew I went to Miami, man. I rocked the U really, really hard. I had a, I had a University of Miami helmet and I would put it where my, where my hat would go. So every day my hat would sit on top of my University of Miami helmet. And, uh, you know, I, I'm just always repping the U. And obviously I, I don't really like wear shirts or, you know, shorts or all that because I want to respect obviously my teammates and respect the organization where I'm at. But when it comes to my locker, you know, I have my pictures and I have my, my University of Miami stuff. And um, I, I definitely, uh, I'm very proud of where I come from. So you mentioned Seattle. A-Rod, you know, what is A-Rod's sort of legacy in Seattle? Obviously, he's a Miami guy, and he means a lot to the Miami baseball program with never having played there. So when you were out in Seattle, does he hang over the franchise? I mean, I know he kind of left and went other places. How does that work? I think in Seattle, um, I'm not sure if it's a mixed feelings, I would say. I think he was so young when he was there that I don't think he gets the, the, I don't think he gets the respect of what he really did in Seattle. I mean, we're talking about a 19-year-old who was there, who was an all-star and an MVP from the beginning. Uh, I think he gets a little bit overshadowed and overlooked with, obviously, Griffey and Randy Johnson, Edgar Martinez, uh, the Boone brothers. Um, so I think it's not fair to him to not really understand what, what he meant to that organization in that city because he did so much for them. You know, he, they went to the playoffs. I mean, they were almost about to, to, to be – there wasn't going to be any baseball there. At, at one point and here comes Griffey and here comes Randy and here comes Edgar and here comes A-Rod and he just kills it. So he was great. And obviously to the city of Miami, he's done so much and to the university, he's done so much. I have a cool story about him. Uh, my sophomore year uh, off season uh, fall, it was the fall of, 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 which is basically the off season. Right. And we're getting ready for season. And I ended up having a pretty good year, my freshman year. And I'm sitting there and I'm saying, you know, Alex used to go work out at UM and he used to go, he's trained at UM. Everything was UM, UM, UM. And I would skip class sometimes, which is not good that we say here, but right. I would skip class, you know, and I would go and try to see his workouts and go and try to see him hit and see what I can learn from him, you know, by watching. But one day I said, you know, the heck, the hell with this. I, like, I, I need to go and, and, and work out with him. So I go to his trainer and I tell him, hey, how can I work out with him? He, you know, they were like, what? And I was like, yeah, you know, I, I want to work out with him. And they said, well, you know, you're going to have to ask him. And I'm like, all right, great. You know, what time does he work out? They said, well, like 6.30 in the morning, he's here. And I said, all right, great. So 
I show up at, at 6.30 in the morning and he's on the bike and I'm on the other side of the bike and, you know, I, I don't have the nerves at all to ask him. And I'm like, you know, I'm not going to ask him, but I'm going to do whatever he does. So the, the weight room is huge. And he starts, he goes outside to run and he goes and runs and I go and I, and I run, you know, I run, whatever he runs, I run. And then he comes back inside and, you know, he's doing squats and I go and I see how much weight he's putting and I'm all right, I'm going to do the same thing. Boom. And I do my, my stuff. Then he goes and does bench, you know, I'm, all right, this is all right. Boom. And I'm doing my bench and he's doing his bicep, his curls and his tricep. Boom. I'm doing the same thing. So I, I guess he gets sick of it. He's like, who the hell is this kid? And I go up to, they're like, Hey, you know, go, go introduce yourself. So I go and introduce myself and I tell him, you know, I want to be the best. And in order for me to be the best, I, I need to be with an MVP. I need, I need to train with the best because I need to learn. And at the time, you know, Alex is going off, right? Like he's hitting 50 homers, like he's just going off. And he says, all right, all right, I'll, I'll tell you this. Come back Monday morning and, and we'll get after it. And I said, all right, cool. I'll be here Monday morning. And we ended up training for two years straight. Wow. Every single day we would train. I would go to his house. We would train first. We would throw, we would catch ground balls. Then I would hop in his car and we would go to his house and hit. And then, you know, I would go home, take a break. And then at night we would go and do another session of hitting or workouts or whatever the hell he wanted to do. And I was basically his shadow. I was his shadow for two years. And this is your sophomore and junior year. My sophomore year and junior year. And I learned so much, man. I mean, this guy was, the work ethic on this guy was just on another level. It was so hard to keep up with him, you know, but he brought the best out of me, man. And he taught me how to be a professional, things you need to sacrifice through to be able to become a big leaguer, to be able to become not only a, a, a person, a role model, but, uh, you know, pretty much to, to in every aspect of the game and every aspect of life, just try to teach me as much as he could uh, during that time. And, you know, I got to thank him for that. You know, I, I don't have anything to say about him, but to thank him. Um, and obviously understand that what he did for me was just giving me so much knowledge uh, to the game of baseball. What was the advice he gave you? Well, you know, I remember like the first time I met, I met, I think it was, I think it was his best friend and, and we were eating and he said to me, you know, he always had, he always had stuff about my weight. You know, my weight was, I was a little bit bigger at Miami or, or, or not as big, but he just wanted me to slim down. He's like, you know, you got to lose 10 pounds, man. You got to lose 10 pounds. And I'm like, well, Alex, you know, it's hard, man. I'm Cuban, man. My dad, my mom, like, they don't have money to feed me this expensive, you know, healthy food. Like, I just don't have the money, man. I'm, I'm just here, like, eating McDonald's every day, you know? He's like, well, you, you got to want it. You know, you got to want to be able to do the best you can and, and eat. If you go to McDonald's, just have a grilled chicken and just eat the chicken by itself. You know, that's the only way you got to do it. And he was like, one day I, I go there and, and his buddy, I don't even know. He goes, Hey man, who's this chunky guy that you're with? And like, boom, that was like the first hit right there. Like, all right, you know, I got to lose weight. I got to get it together. And it was actually from a text that he texted him saying, Hey, make sure when you get here, you tell him that he's chunky. A Rod set his buddy up. Yeah. So that way, like oh, it was in playing my, my head. Games. It was in my head. Like I needed to get my, my behind together, you know? Just like things like that, uh, you know, he, he would wake me up early in the morning and he'll be like, you know, it's Saturday. I'm thinking it's my off day. And I'm like, I'm just going to be in bed all day because I can't move. And he'll just, he knew where I lived and he would knock in my house and he'll be like, let's go. We're going for 20 miles on a bike right now. And I'll be like, what? Like a bike? It's six in the morning, Alex. I don't have a bike. He goes, no, I brought you one. So come on, get on. 
and like stuff like that, you know, where he was like, Hey, he'll call me and he'll be like, what are you doing? I'm like, I just got done with study hall. And he's like, okay, well meet me here. We're going to be doing, you know, cardio. We got to go do cardio now. And I, instead of going home, I would just go and do cardio. So the preparation was so intense that when season came around, it was like, I'm about to feast on everybody. I have so much anger of, of the, the sacrifice and the, you know, the workouts and the training that I just did that I need to unleash it on somebody. For me, it was like just letting a, a wild animal just let loose. All right, here, now you can play. Now you can go hunt and do whatever you want. And it was like, for me, that was the, the beginnings of, you know, if you work hard and you really, you know, put the sacrifice that you need to put, you're going to have a really good year. And that for me was, I, I became addicted to that. You know, I was like, okay, if I work hard, I'm going to have a good year. So I always tell this to young guys, it's your off season is your most important season. And, and I really mean that because if you put as much emphasis as you want on your off season, your season is going to be a party because you've put in all that work already. That season is just going to be about competing and having fun and all that is done. So he taught me that man. And I, you know, I obviously thank him because uh, without, without a, a part of him uh, is the reason why I, you know, I played 10 years in the big leagues. This is the part I'm curious about because I didn't play. I love what happens behind the scenes, right? Everyone sees the professional in the stadium, on the field, hitting home runs, making catches, but it's all the work that goes in that nobody sees because you just don't magically become A-Rod. There is work. And, and if you don't work, you're probably not going to be that good. So I was wondering maybe if you could detail, because I know you've spoken about that that is important to you now that you want to help others. So maybe you can explain, and you kind of already explain some of it but just the amount of work that goes in to being a pro oh man you know that is such a it's, it's such a easy question but so hard if you really want to get like in, in details of it all i want to hear it because i don't think i don't people, think people understand those things no because people uh, say they work i work hard at my job i work hard raising my kids but like to be a professional to be the very best at what you do the amount of just here's, utter here's as simple here's as simple as i can put it to you please I've never had a summer where I can go out and go hang out at the beach. I've never had Father's Day where I can just hang out with my dad or my kids and do a barbecue for the day. I've never had a Mother's Day where I spent the day with my mom and enjoy a great day eating cheeseburgers. I've never had Memorial Weekend or Fourth of July or every big holiday possible. I've never had it because I've had to go work. And I've had to go do what I love. It's what I love. But it, those things, at some point, they start dwelling on me. And, and Christmas Day, I remember I, I trained every Christmas. And, and I remember a, a, per, a guy telling me, hey, man, it's Christmas. You should go home. And I said, very serious, as serious as possible. I said, Santa Claus has to wait. Because Santa Claus needs to wait for yonder to be able to put in his work so that way things get done. And, and I meant that. And I meant that in, because, you know, everything great and everything dandy and everything that's, you know, so good in life or however, whatever levels you want to think good is or great is or whatever it is, becomes sacrifice. And, and that's what my parents taught me. And that's what my family taught me. And I think the city of Miami taught me that, man. Like, it's very simple. Like, you know, the United States of America taught me that. If you want something great, you have to work for it. 
and there is no shortcuts. And for me, I wasn't about to give a day off, which I understand, you know, people may say, man, that's a little bit aggressive, but that was my mindset. That's my mindset. My mindset was even during Christmas, I have to go work because I can't think about another person outworking me that day. And I know somebody's crazier than me. And I know somebody has more will and more want than me. And I just can't let that happen. And for me, it's always the, the chasing of a rabbit. And it's hard. It's mentally draining because you're always chasing that rabbit. As an athlete, you're always chasing it. No matter who you are, you're always chasing it because you always want a little bit more, right? You know, you score 10 touchdowns a year. Well, you want 11. And you hit 30 homers. Well, you want to see if you can get 35. And you're always pushing the obstacle as an athlete because you always think you can do it. And for me, that was like what I became so aware. It was a mind game within a mind game of I can't afford to lose one single day because I need to go get it. That's just how I did it. You know, that's how I did it. And I try to tell guys that. And it's just how much do you want it? And that question is you hear it in commercials and you hear it everywhere you go. How much do you want it? And it's a very simple question, but if you really start thinking about it, it's a really hard question to decide. How bad do you want it? It's just that simple. Hi, Hurricane fans. Joe Zagacki here for UPS. Your customers want more from your business. You've got to make more happen, whether they're in Miami or on the other side of the world, globally or locally. UPS is building solutions to help businesses give their customers exactly what they want. More made easy. UPS, official logistics company of Miami Athletics. I know maybe some of this you learned as you were a pro. A lot of what is discussed about great teams is not only do you have great talent, but you have great people in your locker room or your clubhouse. How much of that mentality that you had, how many other guys had it, or how did you have to try and push and infect the rest of them with that level of pride? At the end of the day, if you don't care, I can't help you. And if you care, if you have pride in your work, usually it'll end up pretty good. We were about it. Oh, we were about it. And, and we were so about it. We were so about it. We were so good. And we were so about it that we would tell our backups, get ready in the fourth inning. This game is over in the fourth inning. And you don't do that. Like, you don't disrespect your opponents like that. You just don't do that. And we were telling our, our backups, hey, get ready. You're coming in today. And we're talking about Friday night. Their best players, their best pitchers against us. And we were telling guys by the fourth inning, you're getting loose because you're going to go in and play six innings, five innings, whatever it is, you know? And that's how, that was our model. It wasn't about beating guys. It was about embarrassing guys at the field every single day. I mean, and I say this all the time and we talk about this all the time, but our practices were really much harder than the games because we had four All-Americans. We had three guys going the first round. We had about 10 guys going the top 10 rounds. Our practices were so hard that we, at some point, my junior year, it felt like we needed the coaches to you know, kind of regulate things. But we knew if we had a bad practice or not. Like, they didn't have to tell us if we had a bad practice. I mean, it was very simple. 20 minutes into practice, if it was a bad practice, it was known by the players. It was known by the players. Get it together. And if we had a good practice, it was a good practice. And, and that's it. We move on. We got better today. But our practices were harder than the games. 
And it started not only like as, you know, my junior year, it started as a freshman year too. You know, we had these veteran guys that were really good and, and that they were winners. You know, that led on to those years just getting better and better and better that when junior year, my junior year, which I think it was the best team ever to play at Miami. And, and you know, it's kind of very selfish to say, you know, but it felt like my junior year was the best team ever to play at Miami, even though we didn't win. So it's hard to say that that was the best team, but I think talent wise. And I think record wise, I think it was the best. It was, it was known that we were going to embarrass our opponents. And, and that's just, that's just how I felt. We, we weren't just going to win. No, no, no. We didn't want to win four to two. That's just not how we wanted to win. We wanted to win 18, nothing. And that was fun, man. Like that was just, that was just great. You know, that was just awesome to see. Now, were you one of those guys that was telling guys if it wasn't a good practice? I feel like you were. <laughs> well, you know, I, I wasn't much of a talker. I was very quiet into my own, but if it was needed to, it was, you know, if it was, if it was needed, I had no problem doing those things. Uh, you know, if you ask somebody else, they might say otherwise, but uh, yeah, you know, I had no problem uh, speaking up and, and kind of, uh, showing my emotions, uh, how I felt. But we had a guys for that too. You know, Dennis Raven was really good. Jamal Weeks was really good about that. Uh, Yasmani Grandal, who was our catcher, who's in the big leagues, was, was very much like that as well. You know, we had guys, man. We had guys. And, and, and that, that's, that's fun, man. And, you know, we got better. And, and that was the fun part is we got better and better and better every year. And, and, and every game that junior year, we got better and better. And it all happened because of practice. I think practice made us that way. So 2008, in my research, talking to the guys back at UM, that that team was loaded. How do you look at that team when you look back at it now? Is there still a little bit, if I bring it up, is it a smile or is there deep down inside, is there, is there a, little, a cut? It still stings to this day. And, it, and all I can think about that last day and that game, that game we lost and I knew like this was it, right? I had just been drafted seventh overall. I knew it was it. Going into a lobby in the hotel, we all met in a room. And the coaches said their words and, and, you know, I don't think there was a dry eye um, in that room. And I really think that during that, that year, we got caught up on, I think, you know, setting the NCAA record for most wins. And I felt like we had so much stress and so much pressure and so much, it was so hard. Like every game was, we got to win every game. Right. And not every game you won 18 nothing, but we couldn't lose to a team. Like we just couldn't. We were just that much better. And I think it was an embarrassment if you lost. And it was definitely an embarrassment if, if you know, two out of three, they would take it from you. We were so good that we had so much of the want to win every single game that if you will sweep a team, they will give you this shirt, right? Miami, the GM, uh, Robert McDaniel, the, the general manager for, for the team, the guy that Pretty much, he's the, the card and runs the show. He runs, he runs the, show. the show. He will give you a shirt when you win a, a sweep as a like a reward for like you know having a good game and and sweeping the team or whatever. He ran out of the shirts. <laughs> he ran out. He said, "You know what? I'm not giving you this anymore. I'll give you a cooler shirt when you guys win the World Series or when you guys get to the World Series or when you guys win ACC." The ACC, you know, that first year we were going to the first, the ACC, and we ended up winning it. And we rolled that thing. I mean, like, we rolled through it. And I think, like, when Omaha came, it was kind of that satisfaction of, like, okay, you know, we made it here. Like, we made it here, and we were supposed to make it here. 
and I think we 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 had a chance to win, man, and we just we just didn't win. We just it happened so fast that we just didn't win. And till this day, like that stings and that kind of just and you can ask all the guys. I'm sure they'll say the same thing. And you can ask you know, Gino and, and Jim Morris and JD and that that one like just you know going back to the hotel it was like it hurt me so bad and that that hurt I felt like it hurt the city of my the whole city of Miami it, it, it hurt so it is what it is but you know you learn from it and and I think Miami the, the school and the obviously the program has learned from that as well because they went back uh, I want to say they went back the following year they did better but yeah you know, anytime that you get a team at Miami as Miami to go to the World Series, it's like they belong. You know, Miami belongs to be in the World Series, and that's just how it is. People look at college sports, and coaches are attached to programs. Jim Morris is attached to University of Miami baseball. What made him so special? The consistency, man. Uh, I think he was just so consistent with his way. And you, 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 you understood uh, here was a guy that was going to be very truthful to you, a, a guy that was going to tell you how it was, he was just the same guy every day. Um, there was just no, no buts about it. He was just the same guy. And there's nothing better than that. There's nothing better than having a, a manager or a leader on your squad that's just the same guy every day, understand the talent that he has, understands the players that he had, and really understands the quality of people around him. He lets his, his coaches do their job. And he doesn't really step on anybody's boundaries or, or lanes and, and he was a he was a guy that just a pro I mean this guy not only got ready got you ready for the game of baseball but he got you ready for life and my dearest respects to him and obviously his family and and, and his son and, and everybody but he was just special he was special in every way possible not only talking about him but you know Gino as well JD uh, Mercadante who was the assistant at the time who's now with Tulane he was just phenomenal. They were all phenomenal. And then obviously without them, there's just no way that, that this all works. It, it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. And, and it starts obviously with, with, with him, uh, with Jim Morris, but, but it totally leads down to the other guys too, right? Gino was, was great. Gino DiMario was, he recruited me and uh, who's now the head coach and, and JD was the pitching coach and he was a guru of pitching and here's Mercadante at the time, who was the assistant of the catch. He was a catching court, uh, coach, but he kind of ran the uh, defensive side and, and, and the second guy for, for hitting. So they were great. They were just great. They're all great. Why is this program in good hands with Gino? I mean, you've known him forever. Oh, my gosh. I mean, why? It's Gino. I mean, it's, it's like we're talking about a guy that I'm telling you, his blood is not red. His blood is orange and green. I mean, this guy, there will be a statue when this is all over. There will be a statue of Gino DiMari in front of that stadium. Well, that's all he needs to know, right, about your respect for him, right? Absolutely. You mentioned uh, your work ethic. You mentioned the work ethic your father instilled in you. You mentioned, you know, how that applied to growing up and just kind of surviving day to day, uh, how, it's, how it applied to your baseball career. So we, I think we need to Tell a little bit of that so that people really can understand it and frame it. You were born in Cuba, raised in Cuba. Your parents come over to this country when you're eight or nine years old. But maybe you could detail, again, it's kind of like work ethic, right? Oh, it was bad in Cuba. How bad? Yeah, it was bad. Um, it's hard to really talk about, you know, during this time uh, where our country's at, talking about a, a country like Cuba. It's tough. It's, it's, it's a... Uh, it's, it's my country. I was born there. I love Cuba. Uh, I love the people there. 
But uh, it was tough, man. You know, my dad, my dad played ball there for 11 years, 12 years in, in the city, uh, Havana. And that's where I was born. Mom and dad, my sister. It was a, it was a tough upbringing, man. Um, you know, we're talking about having two meals a day, one meal a day, no meals if, if sometimes. The, the, the smallest things that you like, that you love here, right? Having light, having cable, having 100 channels on your TV, having 20 channels on your TV. There was none of that. There's two channels. One of them is about government. The other one is about uh, soap opera, cartoons for 30 minutes, and then boom, the news, talking about the government, and then boom, they shut you down, and it's just white noise. That's how it is. And when you talk about food, everything is in a little notebook, and you go every day and you get your three ounces of sugar, five ounces of milk. If there is milk, if not, there's yogurt or this like powder yogurt. You get your ounce of oil and you get a quarter of the chicken for four. And that's how you have to survive for the day. There is no going to Walmart. There is no going to Target. There is no going to McDonald's if you don't like that food that day. There is just none of that. For me, that's just what I knew. You know, that's just what I knew. And, and, uh, Cuba just, you know, it, it teaches you a lot. Um, it educates you a lot, but it also humbles you a lot when you get to a country like this, who is, for me, I think the greatest country in the world and the only country in the world that I would ever be in, teaches you how, how lucky we are and how blessed we are, not only to have food or the ability to have food, but to help others and, and just, just enjoying just the smallest things of you know, going to a beach and just sitting on a beach and nobody's going to ask for your license. Nobody's going to ask you for your passport. Nobody's going to ask you, what are you doing with those nice shoes and where did you get them from? Because they know that it's not in this government, so in this country. So just enjoying those things like going for a bike ride. You know, I, it's funny, the bike rides, my dad had a bike and that's how we used to get around the city. So I used to sit in the front and I hated it because we used to go miles right? And this, and this bike, this, this Russian made bike. And it had this like aluminum steel from the seat to the, to the steering wheel. And I used to sit there and I had to be careful not to catch my toes on, on the wheel. So I had to sit up and kind of hold down and we would just go an hour you know, getting to a spot. And people asked, let's go on a, let's go on a bike ride. You know, when I was younger and I hated bikes, I was like, I'm not going on a bike ride. You know, understand that I did this for the, my whole life trying to get from one spot to one spot just to get, you know, a, a quarter more of chicken to bring it back home so my sister and my mom can eat it. Like, I don't want to go on a bike ride. That's just not me. Well, obviously, as I grew up here and I understand what bike rides are, now I understand the joy of it. And obviously, I, I, I get to enjoy it. I, ride, I actually have a bike ride of my bike of my own, which I like to go and train with. But during that time, it was, you, you get into this mode of, the sacrifices that you had to make there. Do you know at that time that you're making sacrifices? Oh yeah. I think as a young kid there, you learn the struggles fairly quickly. You definitely do. And, and, and it's, it's like, no, how, how do you know that? Well, you do. I mean, when you don't have all these things and, and you really understand the uh, home becomes your only ways of, of lessons, life lessons. And you have to really understand mom and dad and family your cousins and your aunts and things like that, you really become very close to them and understand that without your family, you're just not going to survive. And, and for me, I hold that, I hold that to my highest of, of highs of values is what family is all about and, and understanding that it takes, it takes a whole team uh, to be able to, 
you know, live and, and, and live to your best of your abilities. When you were like, for, for people that are from Cuba, is fear like a tangible emotion? Like, the way the government- I don't know. I, was too, I can't answer that. Uh, I'm just too young. I was too young to understand even what fear was. I think looking back now and being, you know, I'm 33 years old, I think it's just, I don't think there's fear. I think there's the fear of what are my kids going to eat? You know, are they going to have clean clothes that day? Is my daughter going to have her hair combed properly? Is my daughter going to have shampoo for the day? You know, we're talking about, are we going to have toilet paper or are we gonna have to use newspapers? Those are things that are real. People tell me, uh, I was talking to a doctor once and they said that in order for you to understand what a country's like, you have to be there for a month. You know, if you go there for three or four days, you don't really get to understand what it's like. You know, if, if you go for two or three weeks, you will definitely understand what it's like in Cuba. And I think that people, you know, sometimes I, I would like to just refresh my memory to try to tell them, no, I went through this or I went through that and really understand like how, how special it is to be here in this beautiful country and, and how, how incredible, incredibly just fortunate we are to all of us be here. Every time you said it, Miami, this country, whether it's now or even earlier in the, you can hear it in your voice. It's, it sounds very real and genuine. Oh yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I, I struggled here in, in Miami. I mean, I, my parents, you know, they, they worked, they would leave at six 30 in the morning and they wouldn't get back till you know, eight o'clock at night, seven o'clock at night. And I had to make sure I was, uh, I had done all the dishes. I had me and my sister had to do all the laundry, had to clean the house. And on top of that, make sure we had, uh, some food on the table prepared or, or ready to get cooked by my parents when they got home from their jobs. And then at night I would go and clean the uh, offices, you know, warehouses with my dad. So, or, 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 bathrooms or, you know, I would just go to, that was like our gig. Our gig was at nights in the middle of the night, we would go, my dad would go and clean offices. So I did that even through college, but you know, it, it also teaches you so many things about not only family, but it teaches you so much about this country is if you work hard, you can get whatever you want. So for me, like that was, that was very, that was engraved into my, into my childhood at, at a very early age, but definitely engraved even more later on as I became a teen and, and a, an adult. You mentioned your dad was a baseball player. The way I understand he was pretty good. It was all right. I was a little better. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to get my son to play baseball. And I think, I think he's probably going to be the best one out of all of us. How old is he? You know, he's five. Oh, geez. He's five. He's pretty good, though. He, he can hit the ball pretty good. So, you know, he's, uh, he's five. He enjoys it, man. He enjoys, he enjoys all sports. You know, he's into airplanes right now, so he says he wants to be a pilot. So we'll see. There you go. Hey, let him, let him dream big. But do you remember the night you guys left or the day, the, the moment? Do you remember leaving? It's been a long time, but, you know, absolutely. I mean, it was an emotional day, that's for sure. I remember just uh, having no clothes. We, we got to this country with no clothes whatsoever. You leave, right? You leave, you escape, you're, you're seeking something better. But what happens when you get here? You're not a family of four that just kind of arrive. How do you find your way? Yeah, we had friends here that took us in. And they took us in for a couple of days. I mean, my dad got to work in a heart, in, like within two, three, two, two or three days, he had a job. They put him in a warehouse and he was in charge. He was like a, an assistant to the warehouse manager and, and he got to work right away. And we were able to find a rental, a little office. So we, we, we lived in a little office house. And it was, there was one bathroom and it was like a living room. And then me and my sister slept in the, in the, you know, the sofas. Uh, so we, we lived there, man. We lived there for like five or six years. And, you know, once my parents got, 
their their kind of their, their feet wet in this country and making a little bit more money and changing for a better job and a little bit more money. We were able to get you know like an apartment, and I lived in that apartment until I was in college. And and me and my sister shared rooms till I was in college. My freshman year, and I was like, all right, I need to understand like what college is like. I need to like get out. But um, yeah, it was that day was a blur. It was crazy, man. It was uh, I don't know how to put it in some words that are going to be not as effective, but it's like saying goodbye, you know, to to a person that you are never going to see again. And uh, that for me is now looking back. Right, I'm 33 years old. I might not know what was going on, but. Looking back now, it's you're you're saying goodbye to somebody that's obviously still on earth, but you're never going to see them again. And that for me, I never got to see my grandmother again. She passed uh, three or four years later, and I never got to see them again. And I never got to see my, say my goodbyes. And that's happened uh, to a couple of our family members where we just never got to see and say goodbyes to them. And that's just you know that was that was the the risk and and the opportunity at hand that my parents decided to do for us. And they, and I know why they did it now and I've known why they did it now. It was obviously for an opportunity of, for me and my sister to, to be somebody and have a, a career and have a, a better life, not only for, for themselves, but for us. So this might sound like a stupid question. You get here by plane, you get here, but how do you get here? Small plane. And, and uh, we got there and, you know, it was like early in the middle of the night. I didn't know we were leaving. And uh, I remember there was uh, our closest family members, they came and to the house very quietly and they didn't want to stir up the city or the town, or, you know, the block, or the neighbors, just kind of saying their goodbyes, but everybody was crying and, you know, sad cries. This wasn't a happy cry. This was a sad cry. And next thing you know, we got on a, my dad's friend took us to, to a field and we got on the plane. And you don't speak English, right? You don't speak English when you get here, do you? Nobody spoke English. That was tough. School was tough. Uh, but my parents were so tough on us in school, man. You know, my, my sister graduated from the University of Miami as well. She's a PA. Um, and, and I'm 12 credits away. It was, uh, it was tough, man. School was tough. School was tough. But, you know, baseball helped me out a lot. And the Boys and Girls Club helped me out a lot as well. Uh, after school care helped me out a lot. And I just can't thank for the opportunities of this country that they have these programs together to help not only myself, but many other kids that are dealing with kind of the same thing. You know, again, we go back to the notes. It says right here, how much did sports help? You know, I, I imagine it gave you a place to fit in. Absolutely. And, and, and I remember my friends there during, during those baseball days, how much they helped. Of course, you know, these kids, obviously, they joke around and this and that. But baseball for me was my, my home. I knew baseball. I knew baseball because I had grown up playing baseball in Cuba. So baseball for me was a, the language where I knew that language. And I didn't need anybody else to speak French, English, Japanese. I knew what a double play was. I knew what a base hit was. I knew what a walk was. For me, like, that's where I can just show myself and show who I am. And, and the emotions can be very real and natural. Grew up, you know, not with a lot of money. Talk to your dad working multiple jobs. You're helping him clean offices. You're just trying to, you know, pay rent, make ends meet. And out of high school, you get drafted. Yeah. Right. You could have made money. Yeah. Could have signed a check, could have gone to the pros, but you still decided to go to UM. I didn't decide that. Okay. So who decided? I was, I was going to ask, who, who, how did you make that decision? Who shaped that decision? Yeah. I wanted to sign pro. They were going to give me like 300 grand. And I was like, no, no, I'm, I'm taking it. Like, I'm going to go. And like, 
we can't even, you know, my dad at the time had a hundred dollars in his account and my mom was negative. You know, we, we didn't even know if we were going to make rent that, that week. So for me, it was like, I'm going, I'm going. And my dad and my mom, <laughs> they sat me down and my agent at the time uh, sat me down, Mike Maulini, who's a great, great person. He sat me down and he said, kid, you really are just, you have no idea what you're going to get into if you go over there. You have no idea what opportunity you're missing if you don't go to Miami. And there's nothing more important than getting an education because tomorrow you may turn a double play and you might break your leg or you might tear a hamstring or you might blow up an elbow and there goes your career and there goes your education. So you need to get better. You're not that good right now. And if you were drafted in the 17th round, let's just say that you get a little better and you get drafted in the top 10 rounds and you're able to, to get a little bit better money on top of that three years of education so i was like i was upset i was very upset because you know i can make it to the big leagues i can do it you know i'm gonna be with the twins and i'm just gonna do it and you know i i ended up not not signing and and they forced me to go during the summer to uh work out uh, at the university of miami and i was by myself some days, those hot days by myself working out. And I was like, what am I doing? You know, I could have been playing pro now, starting my road to the big leagues. And it was the best thing I ever did was go to the University of Miami. We're going we're gonna to end it on that. There's no better way to end it than to say it's the best thing you ever did was to go to the University of Miami. Yonder, man, thank you so much, man. You've given us more time than I asked for. Probably. But you were too you were too good to cut. You were too good. I couldn't cut you off. No worries, man. No worries. Anytime, man. Anytime. We can talk about anything you guys want. All right. Yonder Alonzo, behind you. Your story is amazing. Thank you so much.